are still not in the grotto pod because we're not in the grotto pod. We're still in Idaho. On a couch. You are in a luxurious, <laughs> a semi-luxurious, semi-Spartan hotel room overlooking beautiful downtown Boise, Idaho. I, I actually like this hotel room. It has a desk. Yeah, I, I've been sitting at my desk a lot doing work I just and stuff. did some work, and I thought, I get kind of bummed how there are no desks in yeah. hotel rooms anymore. Yeah, you end up sitting on the bed. I know, I don't like that. that I can't write that way. Uh, I tell you, so my room does not overlook beautiful downtown Boise. You know it what you overlooks had to do? the pool. Oh, that's nice. Where there were people swimming. When she told me, it's when forty-five I checked, degrees, people. Yeah, when I checked in yesterday, she said, "And hey, we have a pool." And I said, "But isn't it outdoors?" And she goes, "Oh, it's heated." You're in Idaho. People <laughs> like, are tougher here. I'm not getting in the pool. Our guest. Yes. Uh, so this is. A, we're still in Idaho, but we're not going to go live here. We got a bonus. Uh, a bonus episode with writer musician. Yeah. Blotton. Um, Pretty accomplished dude. Oh, for sure. Say uh, his band name. His band was is Richmond Fontaine. Yep. If you go to his Wikipedia page, it'll say was, but that's not true because they're together. Actually, so he wrote, he did, he pulled a Dr. Frank for his newest book, which is called Don't Skip Out on Me. He wrote a companion album to go I along with that. it. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Have you heard it? I have not heard it. I've heard a couple songs. I, I heard the title song, that the Don't Skip Out on Me. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that, I, I would think, quite a bit. Will you know what I saw? the kind of music I like. Oh, me too. Yeah. Uh, he likes the kind of music I like. He likes John Doe, for example. He likes John Doe and Shane McGowan. Those are his I inspirations, which is guys. real nice. And Tom Waits. Love him, too. So he, you know, and, and so Willie is one of these, uh, this sort of this, and this is something I want to talk about to him about too i'm afraid to say it's a school of sort of blue collar west coast or not even west coast western right i think it is a little bit of a school but you never know if you ask someone that if they're gonna I go know. i have what i have no idea you know i well, just write know, what i write he says he likes uh william kennedy or he said that in his bio right? and he said raymond carver which is a real easy exactly and i i think of those as kind of this east coast maybe richard russo goes in there too mm. and he's more of the west coast sam shepherd uh, yeah who yeah else? raymond carver yeah, yeah a version of that yeah and, and and he also has in common with those people that he writes about not, I wouldn't say down and out. He, I, I have a quote from an interview that he'd say he his latest book was about the difficulty of fixing broken people, and I think that mm. sounds like a theme that he explores over and over. I love he it. He has five novels: uh, "Don't Skip Out on Me," which was just released in February; "The Free," "Lean on Pete," "Northline," and "The Motel Life," which I read a long time ago. Can I just say, I wonder if being a songwriter makes him able to make good titles? I feel like They're he good has titles. good titles. Yeah, he does. I like the motel life because it's Me not too. the hotel life. I really like it. We are living the hotel life. We totally are. I enjoy the hotel life. I don't mind the hotel life, but I got to tell you, I dip into the motel life occasionally too. Oh, I'm me traveling too. on my own. I go oh, yeah. No problem. 100%. What do I care? Uh, let's see. What else is, has he done? So Richmond Fontaine, which has been together since 1994, has put out 11 albums. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yep, 11 albums. Uh, he also was in, I don't know how to pronounce this, The Delines, The Delines, D-E-L-I-N-E's. Nice research, Rose, and all you had to do was watch a YouTube video. I, I'm bad at that, actually. Yeah, I always forget about the YouTube. Me I'm too. good at the, uh, the You're Google. Google. You're the Google master. I'm, I do well at Google. I know how to do good search uh, terms. A couple things about Willie. He was, so he's from outside of Reno. He lives outside of Portland. I feel like that gives him blue-collar street cred. Yes. Even though I know nothing and about Western Reno. Western cred. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Western cred. He likes himself some boxing and some horse racing. Okay, first of all, right there, right? Straight up street cred. Colon man. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. Capital M. Um, boxing, I I just feel like it's a, it's a lost 
art, writing about boxing is lost art. Definitely. And his the new book science. is about is about boxing. a boxer, yeah. yeah. But it's about way more than a boxer. Oh, yeah, for sure. But for like sure. His, his occupation is boxer. Right, and I think that's something, like if you think about writers in maybe the 60s and 70s, Joyce Carol, Carol Oates, right? Writing about boxing. Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. baseball, time-honored, writerly sports. Just, and you had, when we were texting back and forth, yeah. you said he sounds like he's from another decade. Yeah. From many, many years ago. Yeah, because horse racing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I, I was just reading this interview, and he is really interested in, in just people who aren't the best at what they do. Which I think is fascinating. So good. <laughs> I wonder if that makes it, if it like takes the pressure off the writing or if it's the opposite. I don't know. We'll find out though. He, yeah. You know, and I sent you that quote where he said, you know, why can't janitors, why can't you write about janitors? He said forklift operators. Forklift operators, and right. Which hit close to home for yeah, you. Yeah, because Roy, um, Roy was, was a forklift operator and I love that. And <laughs> friends, he is also a teamster because once you become a teamster, once it's, a teamster, always a it's teamster. It's a lifetime membership in the <sighs> Brotherhood of Teamsters. No amount of plaid shirts is going to ever have made me a forklift operator, which is my own cross to bear. I can't tell you it's so naughty what they say about forklift operators. I, look, I just got done with the August McLaughlin thing. I got plenty of naughty. I don't need any more naughty. <laughs> I'm full up with naughty. She's such, like, fresh-faced naughty. She is fresh-faced Ivory I'll Snow naughty. I'll tell you, if you um, were working a forklift in, you know, when I say breweries, I don't mean, like, we think of now, I mean, like, Miller, oh right, Budweiser, right. warehouses. I thought you were. I thought you were tailing it for a San Francisco office. No, no. If you were doing that, kombucha breweries. No, no. If you were doing that in the seventies, there was no fresh-faced um, upbeatness. No, there was just like no. vile. Uh, yeah, there were just these guys that <laughs> Willie writes about. So he right now is finishing up a reading because here at Story Fort, the people like, that were brought in, the big names, not us, but even yeah. us actually. I feel like we're doing a lot. They keep you pretty I'm busy. Tired. Yeah, they keep you busy. And you've done way more than me. I'm yeah, tired already. They keep you doing a lot of stuff. So uh, he's going to finish that up. Let's see what time is it. Can I say one thing about Story Fork? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I just love my swag bag so much. <laughs> they were, each swag bag had, was personalized. Like someone drew on it and did a thing for each person. Yeah, and, and yours is really hip. Mine's pretty run of the mill because I don't have a cool name. But oh, really? yours is pretty hip. Yeah. I really love mine. I'm going to hang it as art it's in the grotto. It's too bad we couldn't just post a picture of that on the Grotto Pod website. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we can't. We can Twitter it. Oh, yeah, we can. You did Twitter it. Um, we call that tweeting. But, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I didn't tweet it from Grotto Pod. I'll do that. Yeah, I said that from we, Grotto so Pod. So you guys can all check it and out. And in general, i got to say that the Story Fort is cool because it's part of all these other forts. There's just so much energy. There's Ale Fort. Ale Fort, which we couldn't get into because the line was so long. I'm not into Ale Fort myself. I would have been in Ale Fort, yeah. but then I thought, you know, I could probably get a beer somewhere else. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> It was so, so easy. It was much easier than standing in that huge line. But there was, you know, there's music. Oh, and we also jackets. found out about what are those computer guys called? Hack Fort. Hack Fort. Hacker Fort. Fort or Hack Fort. And we didn't. There's like a kids fort here. Uh, last night Yoga I managed fort. to avoid the George Clinton show by standing outside of it. Could it was, you hear it though? I could hear it. There were thousands of people I'll there, bet. including Stuart awesome. Onan. Oh, he was up front. Probably in the front. Yeah. Just Stuart Onan. Stuart Onan and his wife Trudy. Trudy are. Amazing. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. They are cool people. We got to get some Grotto Pod t shirts. Yeah, on we got to find them today and give them to them. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance to come to Idaho in March, this is a yearly thing and it is really. Oh, so worth doing. Even if last night I ended up at a show that with the band just really disturbed me because it included a guy in an orange suit just dancing and lots of percussion players. Yeah. I didn't Sounds that, a little Bernie Manny. It was a little, and, and, but lots of, and it had three female singers in long flowing dresses. Uh huh. And it was just this, it was a weird, they weren't singing so much as intoning. Yeah. 
and it just was then the song was like 20 minutes long and after one song oh, I, I hate that there's a break i'm out i'm going home. i don't like long songs. I, I feel weird i'm out of here so despite that and we've completely digressed uh oh, we need to get weird. out of here though because willie vlotten is hopefully going to text us soon and yep. tell us hey me and my plaid shirts are on our way what should we do if he's not wearing a plaid shirt not say anything okay either way let's say either way we're not going to say okay anything. either way we're not going to say okay. anything all right we'll let you guys know later okay Our hotel room. Okay. I just want to be clear. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's a nice <laughs> hotel room. It is. But let's dive right into what you're doing. So you've been on the road for a little bit promoting the book. I've actually thought, I, I misunderstood, I thought you were out with the band. No, I, I've been, last couple of weeks I've been driving around the West hitting different cities. Uh, and a few of them I'll play music, like I play a gig at night and I do a reading and, you know, before the gig. Mm-hmm. Some I mix together. So just... Just a lot of driving. You know. By yourself? Yeah, I just picked up a friend of mine um, in Phoenix. So he's been with me since Phoenix. But I did, yeah, about 10 days by myself. I like it. I mean, you know, I just uh, listen to records, uh, I mean, and uh, audio books. And I get to drive around the West, which I love. I'm kind of a fan of that, too. Oh, me too. I actually love an audio book in the car on a long drive. That's a nice thing. No, I meant driving around the West. Oh, I like that, too. But it's funny, because when I drive around the West... You know, my goal is to get to the town and then go out at night, but you're already out at night because you're working. Yeah, I mean, I like if I love just the landscapes, and I like going to little towns I haven't been to before. But yeah, just the landscapes, I'd like the most. Um, and then you're right, I do go out every night because I'm doing events. Sure. And tell I, me some of the stuff you've been listening to. Um, Tree of Smoke by Dennis Johnson. Oh, um, classic. And then I'd listen to uh, Jesus's Son and uh, Train Dreams. Because they're an audiobook. A guy named Will Patton reads them. Yeah. And he's my favorite audiobook reader. Um, uh, uh, Michael Conley, as uh, uh, Crime Guy, was great. Oh, don't know uh, him. I'll check that um, out. Yeah, he's, yeah, just like, in a, um, I, I live in a small town, so the, the audiobooks you get from the library aren't the best. Oh, and I did a Stephen King, because I don't know much about Stephen King, so I did Stephen King. The too. only Stephen King novel I had ever read was The Stand on a Trip in the west yeah. in like the 80s and i had never read him and had no interest and i heard that audiobook and i was like this is kind of great yeah yeah i, I mean yeah it. i love audiobooks L- uh, Lori yeah. morris bark oh she's love her she's one of those that the audiobook when she reads it you you understand the stories better because her well, voice that's just the thing yeah. i really like them to be read by the author sometimes really like <laughs> yeah there's a few that aren't so good is that a but, good is that a job you can get are there people like oh, voiceover yeah. actors? Oh my gosh, totally. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I do my my books. Uh, um, I love doing it. It's really hard. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's hard work, and I'm not that good at it, but I, I like doing it. Well, I would think it would be kind of. I mean, I don't. You, your book is not an audiobook. Yeah, yet. it is. And it's, 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 it's read by a woman who's won all these awards, and, you know, I felt lucky that she wanted to do it, but it still bums me out because I hear my voice. Right. And so when well, I that's, hear. That's kind of what I was getting at. Like, I write. When I write, it's very. Read, it's written to be read aloud, you know, and I, I know what it sounds like right. when I'm writing it, so it would be odd to have someone else's voice reading it. Unless it's Will Patton. And then you're psyched. <laughs> then you're ex- You know who else excited. is really good? Brendan Fraser. He used to read kids' books when my kids were little. Really? You know the actor? Yeah, sure. He was amazing. I thought he was incredible. George Goodall. He's amazing. There are a few where I do think 
yeah, that they are just the audiobook readers can make it, make yeah. it or break it. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to stay sort of on this, uh, I guess, the string of, of things being heard aloud. So you're at a point in your career where you are still asked to play music and mm-hmm. asked to read, and you just put out a book or an album to accompany your book. Right. Love that. <clears throat> so when you wake up in the morning, which do you feel more like? I mean, it's, 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 it, it changes. I like the work ethic of writing. Mm-hmm. I like the, the work ethic of it, of just getting up, and, and it's a slog, you know. It's, uh, you just kind of punch in, and it takes right. so much time. Where, where music is, uh, it's more mysterious writing songs. I've never figured out how to write songs, like why, how, how, how they come. They just kind of come. Uh, so it's more mysterious that way, and I mean, I they've always worked well together because when I'm doing bad at one, you know, when I'm writing bad songs, it's it's because I'm a novelist, and when I'm writing, my writing's going south. I'm like, well, that's all right, man. I'm a musician. What do you expect? <laughs> well, I was oh, that's nice about the common or the, the overlap between the two, and also if switching from one to the other requires different muscles. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm always a little bit more ragged when I'm writing songs. I've always written songs. Uh, it's a fault of mine, but I've always written songs when I'm more beat up mentally. Hmm. And um, makes a good song, though. Yeah, yeah but it's more. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the only way I've ever done it, and so, uh, so I'm a little bit more um, frazzled, I guess, when I'm writing songs. Um, and then when I'm when I'm writing uh, fiction, it's usually is when you're like, I, I think he looks better, you know. Uh, I, he's been shaven, <laughs> and he, it doesn't. Feet. Yeah, it doesn't look like he slept in her car. You might see me go running. You know, uh, that's when I'm writing. Some goat yoga. Yeah, well, I don't do the goat yoga, but after you know, I'll but do you it. know what it is, I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've talked about that. Oh, yeah. you guys have talked about he it. Was on Brad Leslie, and they talked. Oh, about got it, it got it, got really it. Excited about goat yoga. Yeah, he, yeah, and, and I, I went down the hole reading about goat yoga, and I did that too once. Yeah, really? uh, I was just surprised it was a thing. Yeah, but it I mean, is shit. If you're doing yoga and there's a goat, why not? Yeah, why not? I guess. I like I said, I only bring out my yoga when I'm. My yoga DVDs uh, when I'm mildly suicidal, and then I'm like, well, I better, I gotta start changing. It goes things. like country music, yoga, and then then uh, the, the gun comes out. Yeah, okay. So I yoga's like I I, I I dust off my yoga DVDs and like I gotta get my shit together and I'm gonna start with. And then you throw on a pussy giant diaper. No, you know I I, I listen to Rodney, I watch Rodney. You got a guy. That yeah, you I got watch. a guy. Yeah. Oh, Rodney. And then I try, yeah, I, well, I guess he just got busted. Or a oh, while did he ago. for what? Being a philanderer. That's so. an old story. Oh, that's an old story. Oh, yeah. really? not a fraud though. Uh, I think fraud in what way? Like, like he look, he's actually out there on the beach. Okay, doing first of all, that dude is hot. Okay, start with that. So, and he's a good yogi, and he cheated on his wife, and he married a model. I mean, it oh, happens. He's a successful man. Yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Back to writing stories. That is a story. Away from goat yoga. Landering Yogi. Um, as a songwriter, though, you also, I mean, you're fairly narrative. You know, it's its more, it's, you tell stories through songs, too. But, I don't know if I'm going to phrase this right. I'm curious about the challenge of taking a character from start to finish in a novel versus taking him through that piece of time in a, in a song. Well, you know, I think every novel I've ever written starts as a song. Um, I read that, yeah. Yeah, so I'll start with I'll be starting to think about an idea or or a world or a feel, and then I'll write a couple songs off it. Like uh, a book of my Northline, my second book, I wrote a handful of songs before I actually 
mapped out the book uh, about the woman in the book. Um, and once I kind of created the world with the, it didn't line up exactly, but when I created the, the world with the songs, just the feel of it, um, then, then I knew the feel that I was going to take with the, with the book. So they're, they're married. I always say they live like in the same apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever, you know, is the book a way of going further? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Usually, usually you finish a you finish a, a song and you're done with that idea, mm-hmm. and then some. It just opens it up. Like uh, my book, The Free, I wrote a song called "A Letter to the Patron Saint of Nurses" because I was always interested in, in nurses and nursing, and then uh, I wrote a book called Forty Three. Uh, I mean, wrote a song called Forty Three, uh, which was similar ideas, and because I I just started going down the hole on on working on the free and these songs kind of helped me map it out and with this latest one with um don't slip out on me skip out on me you put a, you wrote a whole albums with pumpkin boy was that the idea all along we had um do you know dr frank from the mr t experience no frank portman he became a ya author and in his last one which was andromeda no 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 anyway i forgot the name of the book which is terrible because we had him on the podcast <laughs> And it was great. But he set out to write. He hadn't performed in a long time. He set out to write an accompanying album, and then he took that on the road. And hopefully there was a little synergy between book sales and album sales. And King Dork eventually. King Dork approximately. Approximately. Yeah. Approximately of course, yeah. And the album. But did you go into it with that much of an outline? I mean, uh, I'd written a handful of Richard Fontaine songs that when I was mapping out the ideas for the book, I, I wrote a handful of songs that, that kind of, got me thinking about the feel of the book would be the ideas of the book and but when I started actually writing it I was maybe only 10 pages in and uh, I started writing it was such a sad melancholy feel to it the book did already just in the beginning that uh, I started writing little instrumental songs Mm -hmm. after three years I had maybe 30 of them because I felt like this book just felt uh, it just felt like music and so when I got the book in working shape I brought it to the guys in my band uh, they read it and I showed them the songs and then we, we kind of hammered out the songs um, I just l- like the idea of it uh, the, you know maybe when you listen to the, the record you think about the story or if you're reading the book and then you're, you drive around and you put the CD in or, the, or listening to it that, that you're like living in, a, in the same world in a different way so I was thinking about it that way, and I'm a huge fan of soundtracks. I always have. I was going to say, a sound, yeah. it's like a soundtrack to the book. It's exactly yeah. like that, except that he's writing it. Like you, It's kind of a popular thing right now that people give a soundtrack to the book that they've just published. Right. Yeah. Um, like a, but you wrote the songs. Like a playlist kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's. I've always been such a soundtrack uh, fan. You know, I miss yeah. mixtapes for that reason. Mixed, like, yeah. I mean, you got playlists, yeah. yeah, same thing. The same. You don't think so? No, I like the little object, yeah. decorating the outside. Yeah, that was nice. It felt very meaningful. You did put, not to be like too John Cusack in high fidelity, but you would put a lot of thought into the. the yeah, and, and and giving it to someone, it was very. There was just something really fantastic about that exchange. It's very personal. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Like you're opening your heart. You you're right. exactly yeah. like Especially that. Especially for boys who weren't very verbal. Exactly, I. Oh my God! I mean, I think about some of my most. When I look back, the most touching experiences of my young adulthood were young men giving me mixtapes and me becoming finding out about new bands or hearing a song in a different way. But see, in your view, you didn't have to give them mixtapes because you had a band. 
No, I didn't. You write had all that. the women. No, see, my problem is, is uh, I never wrote for women. My brother, he was a folk songwriter, and and he loved writing love songs, and he wrote songs for any girlfriend he had. And I, cool. and I and I was awesome. just like, man, I don't want to belittle songwriting by writing about women. I'm going to write like, <laughs> so I wanted to write like working class. I mean, even when I didn't know, I mean, I still might not know anything. But back when I was 13, 14, I was like, I want to I want to write like folk songs and like serious story songs and songs for the working class. I'm okay, gonna, so you're 13 or 14. Wh- wh- who are you looking to? Like the, like the jam. Was oh, like I a, love a, the jam. We're oh a big God. band. Uh, yeah. You know, I liked the... Uh, well, uh, like Springsteen was a guy for me. Well, that's what but I was thinking. You, Springsteen is then, still love but, songs. But yeah, but I missed the whole love song. It was one of the oh. worst things oh. I ever did. Was uh, never that? skip the writing for chicks. Cause, I actually, uh, yeah, I actually checked out a Springsteen when he became more of a working class icon. I like the songs about cars and girls. Yeah, I liked it. Though. I, I've always liked Springsteen. I've always me been too. a fan. But I, I have to say, when he got buff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It bummed me out because all the guys around me started liking him, and all the guys around me were kind of uh, rednecks, yeah. meatheads kind of guys. And, and that was the part that made me nervous about Springsteen in the '80s when he was taken over as this kind of American flag waving yeah. hero, which he yeah, wasn't. It was a no, he was, yeah, 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 um, really bad misread. I mean, you have to be pretty narrow. Uh, you you really don't listen to lyrics if if you think "Born in the USA" is like a, right. a super pro. You just listen to the chorus. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I've always, I've always admired him. I mean, he's a, he's a one oh, of the he's, greats. He's the real deal. Yeah, yeah. I'll find myself. I was such a huge fan in the '80s. Actually, I got to say, I checked out after "Born in the USA." I thought that album. I didn't like the synthesizers. I didn't like the the thin drums. So I checked out. But I'll still go back to that early stuff. The brass guy. Some of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, the river is great. I mean, yeah. all the stuff's good. I mean, in uh, uh, Ghost of Tom Jones, really interesting record. I, didn't I think. Make it that far. Yeah, Ghost of Tom Jones. You should check out. It's a really interesting record, and it's like it's in the vein of Nebraska. Devils and Dust is a really interesting mm-hmm. record. I think. Since um, we're talking about music, let's yeah. talk about Tom Waits and John Doe, who's one of my heroes. Yeah, I mean, um, I've always loved X. You know, my brother moved to Los Angeles. I, I grew up in Reno, and then. Um, when I was 13, my brother moved to Los Angeles, and he started bringing me home. All of uh, the bands that kind of shaped who who I, who I am uh, musically, which was X, Los Lobos, The oh. Blasters, Rank and File, Green on Red, all these 80s kind of roots rockers, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, X is w- one of the great bands out of that era or any era really. And John Doe is one of those guys you always wish you were because. He's yeah. super tough, uh, and he's always kind of kept it together, and he always writes good songs, and he's he's such a good writer, and he's always looks cool. I mean, he's always looks cool. afterwards. Yeah, I'll show you my picture his, of me with John Doe. And his, when I, I was a music journalist around, he was always a great interview and accessible. Yeah, and yeah, he's got a great work work ethic, and and and, and talk about well read. Yeah, like. Uh, He's taught me, you know, I, I've kind of, we've become friends over the years, and, you know, he'll t- teach you about, like, the, when he was living outside of Bakersfield, or, uh, you know, he teaches you about all the writers around that era. I mean, he knows a ton of stuff, and, and you're right, he's super sharp and mm-hmm. um, accessible, and, yeah. and, and he's interested in life. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty remarkable guy. Man. I would say John Doe was, in many ways, my ideal artist, and not just musician. ideal man. Well, that too, but... <laughs> But because he was all of those things, right? He wasn't full of hot air about art and right. expression. He was doing the work in a way that was really meaningful and on so many different levels. And yeah, I love when him. You, and when you go see 
X or John Doe, I mean, he always shows up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he never, I've never seen him. Man, I've seen him. I mean, I've seen him and, and X probably together 20 times, and I've never seen him do anything but try his hardest. And, uh, and he still, you know, he still puts out really good records, and he's, he's a, yeah, he's a good uh, uh, role model idol to have. And he's yeah. always been mine. I guess I was talking about authenticity when I asked you about how you felt about if I said you were part of a school of writers. I mean, I, I mean, the reason I got in a band was uh, to be a part of it. I mean, okay. I had no musical talent. No one ever would have thought I should be in a band. But you know, I, you know, I loved music so much. It was like. Uh, uh, can't, you can you can't sleep with the records. You can't eat them. You ha- you have to join up. And the books are the same way. Like <laughs> oh, I totally. always wanted to read um, books set in Nevada or wherever I live. Uh, I always wanted to re- read novels about people like working class people that made me feel comfortable in life. Lonely people, beat up people, alcoholics, all those things that like I wanted. They would if I read those kind of novels, it made me feel less alone. So so if people. So when I started publishing novels, I, I was just grateful to, to, to have them in a library next to the other books or a bookstore. Um, so to be a part of like any kind of Western t- tradition, whether I am or not, I, I mean, I, I like it. I, I don't, it's not, I don't uh, fight against it. I mean, because I do, I love the West. I like writing about it. Um, so, uh, you know, it's fine. Um. It's funny in the intro to that, I'm still hesitant to ask because you don't know someone like Bruce in the past or part of no school whatsoever. So that's a refreshing answer. And I know that I've read interviews with you where you've said that a lot of your motivation for joining a band was so you could ride in a band. And be well, I just wanted to be a, in a band that had a, 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 a van and I wanted to be in a band that had their name on a flyer. I, I wanted to I be, know, a, yeah. be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, I never, want, I never even would imagine like the idea of a rock star like I did I mean that didn't ever even cross my mind I just wanted to be in a band where we got along and uh, hailed to different towns and didn't have to work real jobs and, and I got to do that with Rich and Fontaine we were all pals and it was a laugh and no one expected anything from it mm-hmm. um, and we got to be on flyers and, and open for bands and play shows and so it was, it was always really yeah. one of the nicest things that ever happened and you know that makes me think of something Earlier this morning, Bridget and I were talking about, and she's from a small town in Montana, what the opportunity ceiling is for people who stay in that small town. And you, you, I mean, you said you're from Reno, but were you from outside of Reno? No, I mean, I lived in Reno until I was 26. Okay. I I do want to say, though, that I don't think it requires it to be really a small town. I think a lot of towns in the West do have a limited ceiling. Montana's economy is limited. You know, and it's less limited because of tourism now. But when I was a kid, there was like the military and education and maybe ranching and farming if you could somehow get into that. But what else was there? Yeah, unless your parents own a ranch. Exactly. You're never going to make a living working Ex- on a ranch. And if you are, it's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, right. <laughs> but in a weird way, I also grew up with a lot of artists and writers because, because people just did things I mean, in a different way. Yeah, me, it was... Uh, sober and had a clean shirt you could get a job in Reno but but for me it was just uh I was I was a weirdo you know I liked mm-hmm. books and I liked weird bands um and so I never really fit in there and I was a failure at it you know I was a failed musician you know I, I played in bad bar bands 
kind of thing until I was 26 and always been. And so I moved to Portland just to be amongst other weirdos. And then when you move to Portland, you find out the guys you meet are from Montana and Idaho. Right. right. And it's the it's the Paris of what the West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it really was. It was, yeah. uh, it was great. And, and suddenly I, I'm, I'm like the least weird guy on oh, the yeah. mall when I was definitely the weird guy. And yeah, and because in, in the music and, and also kind of in the Euro world, you're the blue collar guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a champion of the blue collar life. I just, I mean, I hated working. I mean, I, I worked in trucking companies and warehousing uh, was how, the best job I ever had was house painting. Um, I mean, I wasn't great at any of it, and I wasn't like, this is the life for me. Uh, yeah. I just, that's, it's the only thing I, I knew, and, and I've always, like I said, even as a kid, I, I, re- I really understood how hard it is to get up and work a job that, that people aren't nice to you and you're not inspired by. Um, and I always <sighs> wanted to write that story. Just show well, that, you know, what you watch your mom work uh, a job she doesn't really like for 30 years just to keep us afloat. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a heroic thing to do. Right, and as we were discussing on the now lost uh, history book. We don't know how much is lost. We don't know. Um, you have a drive to tell those people's stories. I just like those stories. You know, I, 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 I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing a, an investigative reporting or anything. I just, those are the stories. I like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, why do you like what you like? Uh, um, uh, for me, it, it goes from those kind of stories. Um, they just make me feel less, less alone, you know, that way. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my notes, I put, Damon, hero, question mark. Because I think you had said something in an interview that plays up the idea of what the hero of the story is. That the hero may not be the person that wins. Well, yeah, like, um, there's a, a lot of people are heroic. Uh, um, there's, uh, my second book uh, uh, is called Northline, and there's a, a, a woman in it named Allison Johnson who's really weak, and she's an alcoholic, and she's got really bad anxiety problems, and you wouldn't say she, she's a hero by the standard terms, and she makes a lot of mistakes, and she pays for them all, um, but she's heroic in the fact that she doesn't give up. She keeps mm-hmm. tr- trying to navigate it, navigate her world to where she gets out of it and she improves her situation. And in, in life, that's all you can really do is mm-hmm. try to, you, everybody's got their own weaknesses and their own uh, ditches that they drive into time and time again. And, and, and if, if you can figure out how not to drive in that same ditch you always drive into, uh, um, maybe that is heroic. I don't know. Well, so when you, when you conceptualize a character, when you think of a character, what do you want from these characters going into I mean, I usually start with themes, like uh, with the new book, Don't Skip Out on Me, uh, I was interested in the ideas of isolation, loneliness, uh, um, and identity. Um, it's about an old ranch couple uh, who have a 20-year-old guy working for them, and the guy is really done it up. An old couple want to kind of want to save him. They, they want to give him their, their ranch when, when they get older. It's also about the idea that you know, a lot of families, a lot of kids don't want to work on right. an isolated ranch. But the guy they want to give the, the ranch to is, is beat up uh, and, and, and dented, and they're, they're trying to undent him, and he can't figure out how to undent himself exactly. So it's, it's, it's kind of a struggle uh, between these two um, people, these 
keep these ideas of identity and, and loneliness and isolation. And, um, so, so I, I think of things and themes like that, and then and then the, and then the story kind of takes off. And you just throw it out there. She's Nick Grace, too, right? Yeah, it's that idea of like he's a he doesn't belong anywhere. Yeah. He doesn't belong anywhere. He had a, a a dad that was a like a successful kind of businessman who was part Paiute, and he he left his wife in Las Vegas and moved to Seattle, and so his mom raises him till he, he's like six or so, and she meets another guy, and the other guy they have a kid together, and suddenly now with a new baby he's kind of the odd man out, so they. They drop him off with a racist grandmother in this town of Tonopah, Nevada. Um, so he's raised from, he's with her from eight to fourteen, and she's racist. She's she's racist against Native Americans, African Americans, and Mexicans, and so he's raised to be ashamed of himself. And then then he starts working at the ranch. Um, but after that, after she passes away, but it's that idea is so who is he? What is he? He's raised with no ethnic identity. Uh, he's raised to be ashamed of himself for being a thing that he doesn't even know if he is at that point because he's never been around Native Americans. He's been around uh, just white, uh, like a white racist grandmother for uh, his formative years. And then he gets to the, the ranch and this old couple are like, we love you. And he's like, no, why would you love me? And so his idea is like he, he's a boxer, amateur boxer, and he wants to become something he respects, which is, is a, a, a Mexican boxer and looks Mexican. So <laughs> he moves to Tucson, Arizona to, uh, to, to be strike Mexican to, boxer. to Mexican boxer because he thinks maybe that'll make him like himself. And that brings up another interesting point that we talked about in the intro. He's not a great boxer. It's not a story of a guy who becomes a champ, right? No, it's that idea like he, he thinks that he can be something he respects and then he'll come back a respected champion. Um, he's very naive, obviously, but he wants to be something great um, so he can go back to the ranch and tell this old couple, see, I'm worth it. And he's like, to get love, he feels like he's got to show up with a with a Cadillac and a, and a suitcase full of money. And then, you know, that's, and then they'll go see, he'll go like, look, uh, it's conditional. Yeah, well, he's like, look, see, I am worth something because I'm, I'm a champion now. So it's uh, and th- and they keep the, the old couple keep telling him like look man you don't see yourself we love you and you can't take it well I just want to say just be yourself it's such a hard when you're a young person that is such a hard message it's if so you, baffling if you're beat up too oh yeah, yeah. yeah like when you you know um, so yeah it's the struggle it's it's that struggle I, are there twenty year olds who aren't beat up uh, I don't know I mean maybe there are, maybe they are remember there are I mean you're born you're born innocent and then. Yeah. Just get beat up along the way, but there's, there's. I've I've met kids that are are really proud, cocky. Yeah, like yeah. I, I I was hanging out with my buddy's kid the other day, and he's like, schooling me on how to shoot baskets, and and he's like, like, well, if you just do this, and then my nephew's like a shredding guitar player, and, he, and he's taking <laughs> a side gig. Well, if you just just practice more, you could be as good as me. I gotta say, now that you say that, I spent a lot of the morning watching the uh, Never Again March on yeah, television, and beautiful. those kids are so articulate. Yeah, Every one of them, I watched like a dozen from well, all over the country. Being a kid, you know, you're less beat up and you're less worried about what's going to happen. I will say, but in my early twenties, I just submitted to everywhere, submitted all my shit everywhere. I just figured, like, why not give it a shot? And see, I got less bold as I got older. And I think there's kids. That if you get too beat up too early, you mm. can't, you, it's 
kind of gets ingrained in you. Yep. And that's what I was interested with Horace is like he's different because he got he, he from an early age he wasn't loved properly. Right. Uh, his folks they skipped out on him, and um uh and so he has to he's going into adulthood with some serious dents, and I, I was interested in that because it is so easy to really break a kid. Um, and then I, I think once, once if you break a kid really badly when they're young, I think it's it takes great effort to overcome it as an adult. Do you have kids? No, I have three horses, no kids. I heard about the horses on Brad Listen too. Um, let's talk a little bit about your journey as a writer. So we could, we know a little bit about you know the young Willie Blot and wanting to be in a band and finally getting out of Reno. That doesn't sound right. You like Reno. You I do love it. Out. No, I, I just didn't love me the right way. Yeah. Uh, no, I loved it. I I, 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 um, I was just a little too weird for that town. Um, it's a pretty weird town. Well, I was weird, yeah, already weird. No, yeah. I love that the seedy side of Reno made me feel, CD. and I love that. And it's yeah. what I love most about it. We were talking about that last night. I yeah. said Reno, the difference between Reno and Vegas is in Vegas they try to hide what happens if you lose your money. Yeah. In Reno, it's all right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you know, and I and I did from an early age. I felt like I was born to the right town because there's a, a a segment of of kind of uh, driftery men, at least when I was growing up, um, that felt uh, I felt like I was going to be there. And so I, I assumed I would be a bum. And so seeing it in front of you makes it less scary. And well, so, so how many dents does that leave in a kid? Just oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have always fought that. That's been the thing I've fought. That was one of my things. It's like you're a bum, no, you're not, and it's it's like a knife fight between the two sides of me and myself. And that's uh, uh, always been that way. But that's why I liked Reno so much. That side of Reno because I really identified with it, and it brought me great comfort hanging out in dodgy places. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and it's only as you get older when you're. 26 27 and you're drinking with this some 50 year old alky and you realize yeah. that he's That's not cool yeah right. he's he smells gross yeah. well i didn't mind any of that but you just think like you just think when you're young you think man this guy's cool for saying like i'm not going to be a part of the world right. middle finger to the world thing. yeah and then when you start going you just realize jesus you just feel horrible all the time because you're hung over and you haven't done anything mm-hmm. yeah. and then so then i left but you know, I wrote it. I wasn't a very good student. I mean, I, I was one of those guys that really liked school. I, I never, you know, I never cut school once. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I played high school sports. I loved sports. What'd but, you play? Uh, <laughs> football and track yeah. all the way through. And uh, and I loved the the work ethic of it and being a part of a team. I, I mean, it saved my life in a lot of ways. I, lo- I loved all that stuff. It's interesting to me that you are consistently a work ethic guy. I have a big edge on me. I always had a work ethic because my my mother has. She would just say, "If you don't work hard, man, you got nothing." There's, you know, she worked with a lot of uh, kind of bum guys, like guys that uh, that would you'd find living on the river in Reno, and so she knew that there there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, that you could live end up living on the river or in your car if you weren't smart, and, and that no one is ever going to care about you. So you got to bust your ass and that was ingrained in both my brother my brother's really hard working dude um and uh but as far as writing um you know i was a movieaholic as a kid and uh and about 18 uh 
I, and the way I watched movies was I they they would I would fall in love with the actress, and she'd be my girlfriend, and I could go around for a whole week with whatever movie I was watching. That gal would be my gal. What kind of movies? It didn't matter. It didn't I totally matter. did that. I would like replay the story, and then I'd like add to the story in my yeah. head. I'd tell a new version of the story. I'd be one of the characters. In my case, the dude would be somehow. Now that's some training for writers that nobody. I've never heard that before. No one's talked about, it, but that is right because you're learning how to tell stories. Well, you're just like the chat. You're just like I don't want to be here where but, I know, live, like, and I, I want to be. Yeah. I want to be somewhere else. I don't know how to be somewhere else. But you see a movie and say, say the movie's set in Montana, and you're like, God, I want to be in Montana, and I want my dad to be oh, that guy, that ranch owner. And then for a week. You are, and then you wake up one morning, it's and it's disappeared. It's like the, your favorite song you played a thousand times. It's great. You play a thousand one, and you don't. It doesn't move you anymore. And you got to find a new song or a new movie. And so about eighteen, I was really hard up. I hadn't seen a movie that I could check out into. So I just sat down one day and wrote the story I wish that I wish the movie was of. And it was just me and, and my uncle working on a. Um, my uncle owned a wrecking yard, and all we did was. Uh, tear apart cars and barbecue and get drunk which was my dream of dream sounds awesome totally yeah and then about page 40 of it and i'd never written anything before you sat down the first time and you got to page 40 i was yeah i just kept writing this wow. it was like a fantasy story yeah. and then but around page 40 or so my uncle goes hey why don't you uh steal this car and i was like what and then and i i was pretty naive and so he my the uncle starts making the the nephew do worse and worse stuff mm -hmm. and he starts setting his nephew up and yeah. then and i was like i had no idea why why i was writing it where it was coming from and it was scary as hell and and then i because I, I was like oh shit i got a monkey on my back i you know i got i got a, a a big truck on my back and i don't know what to do with it and it started coming out in the in the that story and then i just couldn't stop writing and it. it's interesting to me too that you also sort of without knowing it writing in three-act structure like you got to forty pages, and then the big thing happened that set all the action in motion. Yeah, I didn't think about any of that. But stuff. it's it's because if you've seen enough movies or you read enough That's books, true. you yeah, internalize you know. the narrative. I was thinking you're talking about maybe it's Lost uh, that you enjoy driving around the West, and I think a lot of my own childhood retelling of stories was that we didn't have iPods and we didn't have little screens and we didn't have and I couldn't read in the car. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the West, a lot of times you're in the car for a long time. And that's all there was, was to tell yourself stories in your head. That was it. Yeah. And, and explicitly, yeah. like, if you don't like, like, as a kid, you're powerless. And if yeah. you don't like your your life yep. uh, or the world you're in, I mean, you don't have a lot of power. And so I just would check out in, into records and novels right. and movies. Same. And then uh, and then I would play on, like you said, I'd play on them and add, I'd add me into them, mm -hmm. you know. And then... The problem with those is they wear out. And then the great thing about writing, you can spend three years in one world and yeah. not get worn out at all. And you said that writing novels is peace from the real world. When you write a novel, you get to go somewhere and kind of... Well, it's also like, you know, none of my books are expressed. You, you wouldn't call them fantasy novels, but... But say, for instance, Lean on Pete, um, or uh, the anxiety of that kid's loneliness or isolation, I guess, um, uh, takes away the, the anxiety of my own. You know, it's like like, like with Allison Johnson and Nort, my second book, Nortline, um, to be around an a anxiety-ridden alcoholic who's going through hard times, writing about it is living it. 
you know, like it's not the anxiety of what's going to happen because it's actually happening. So really you take your big fears and, and they, they go away while you're writing the piece because it's not the anxiety of this is going to happen because in, in the book it is happening. I don't know if that makes sense. but Well, it does, but also you may be creating a world of anxiety, but it's your world that you created and you get to do with it what you want. So that takes away the anxiety. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. contrast that with the real world where stuff just happens to people where you don't have any control over it. Yeah. Also, I think one of the hardest things, also just to get back to my kids, um, watching your kid go through something and ask why. Why, why, why? And as an adult, knowing like it, there may be no answer to that. But as a writer, you can create the why. And that's very satisfying. For me, it is. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, also like you can create different versions of sides you say and 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 or worries you have like like say with lean on pete it, the kid keeps persevering and so by him persevering uh, and uh, you work on a story where he gets up every day and after he gets run over he gets back up and keeps going and he gets knocked down and he keeps going then it inspires you to do the same it can kind of uh, he was like a saint to me because he he got me out of bed, and and I still think of him as is like a well. He wouldn't be complaining right now. He'd be doing it, man. You know, he he was a, a inspiration to me. Kind of like the people in the movies were when you were younger. Only now you're creating them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and and, and I do think like if you if you write about stuff that haunts you or scares you, at least while you're writing about it, that fear or pain goes away because you're dealing with it and not worried about it. So tell, tell us when did you start getting positive feedback? And when did you first submit? I mean, when did you go from, I want to give this a shot to, hey, maybe I can do this? I mean, I, uh, you know, when I was, so I wrote that for 18, 19, and then I took a writing class, uh, and I had a, uh, just a college writing class, and the, the woman um, was really, really cool, and she said, uh, you know, I re, you know I read your stories to my boyfriend in bed at night, Ooh, and I was just like, you. "That's amazing!" And they were mess. They were just like the other stories I was writing, but, but her boyfriend liked them, and she, and so she he'd always go, "Man, read that that guy's stories." And so like that always that, 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 that makes me as happy as anything I've ever. Yeah, heard. yeah, and she I was re, she, and she was really beautiful too, um, and so to th- just thinking about her in bed uh, reading my story to her boyfriend was great. So I so every week I'd give her like thirty pages. And she'd be like, Jesus, man, why, you know, I, I teach five classes. You don't have to write so much, you know? And you're like, but I didn't. I'm a reader. I, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I you know, uh, and I had a, in Reno, I had a, a really couple of really cool teachers that I used to just take night classes from. But uh, in general, I just, uh, you know, and when I was 21, 22, I published a couple of stories in college journals or whatever. A few of them, and and then they were. I was so ashamed of them when I got them back, like saw them in print, that uh, they, I didn't like them. Uh, and so from twenty one or so to uh, uh, thirty five, I didn't show anybody anything. Maybe maybe a buddy of mine here and there. Mm-hmm. And then at thirty five, I'd written maybe three four novels, and uh, and my band was doing better by then. And um, I did an interview with a, a journalist. Uh, named Stav Sherez, who's a crime novelist, and he did an interview with me about my band. And he goes, "Man, from listening to your songs, I bet you write stories or novels." And I said, "Well, you know, I do." And we hit it off as friends. And so he brought his agent to one of my gigs, and and 
she was nice enough to read one of my books and sold it. So that's it. So I, I was, that, was that motel life? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't I mess. Yeah. When that came out, being sort of out of nowhere. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I just uh um it was lucky. I I mean I was just scared. I loved writing and I loved writing them and I was scared that if I was bad at it uh um I wouldn't have fun with it. I wouldn't get to check out uh, the same right. way or or work hard at it if if people said I was no good at it. So I was too scared that people would say that that I didn't show you anybody. Think we, you would have been fine going along playing music and having these novels in a drawer somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I didn't. Would you kept going when you kept writing. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have kept going. I think if I showed them and people said you're no good, mm-hmm. I probably would have gotten bummed out. So you had an idea that this was a cache of something. It wasn't just that you were finishing one and putting it in a drawer because you wanted to keep writing. You felt like you had something there. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Wow. I, I enjoyed the process of it, and it was my thing. You know, a band. I wrote the, all the songs for my band, and. And my band never did that great. We do all right here and there, and, and we've had our lucky runs and all that. But for years, we no one really liked us. So to subject my books to that to that same up and down thing, I didn't want to do it. It's funny. I can't say. I feel like playing music, which I've never done in front of people. Well, I guess in front of like a party, it seems less vulnerable than showing someone a story. I don't know if it's because you're hiding behind a guitar or what, but I mean. It's it's harder in, in the fact that you're in front of people, yeah. uh, so I mean you're you know uh, you have the form of a song, so you got you know so it's it's not like you're doing something so avant garde that no one's ever heard, uh, so it's not that scary. But you know I never liked being in front of people at all, and um, so you thought you'd just be in a band. Yeah, well it's just that thing of like I loved it. I loved yeah. the idea of a band so much that you have to join one, I and it. so I had to figure it out. No, I mean, it's just the bands beat you up. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I felt really responsible because I wrote the songs, and so I, I was always ashamed that I was tried my ass off to write songs that people would like, but I also liked the kind of, I, I mean, I got my own thing. Uh, so I always felt I was letting the guys down, and so uh, I didn't want to mess with that kind, those kind of things with writing. I just was like, I don't, I don't want to go to, like, pitch it to somebody or get turned down by some weird like writer coach i just was like I, I like writing novels and i don't care if anyone reads it i do think it's really striking that you got published in your early 20s saw them in print and were so disgusted that you put it away for 15 years yeah well That's i wrote how it works yeah i wrote for 15 years but i didn't, didn't send show it to anyone yeah 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 but you had already been published like you had gotten over that first hump that's usually when people gain momentum and go, yeah all right no uh, uh 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 no uh i i think it was called i wrote a story called punch drunk number three um and uh uh and i got it and it was like it's some pretty decent college press thing uh and yeah i remember getting it and being really ashamed my name was on it like because wow. you know i was reading you know, like Larry Brown and Raymond Carver. I was reading these really. You're reading Raymond Carver, and then you needed yeah. to read some more college literary. Yeah, Raymond Carver, and it turns out you're not Raymond Carver. Yeah, which is shocking. Although I well, yeah, of Raymond Carver. You know, when you were talking about Reno again, I was thinking, who are the Nevada writers? Like, do I know them? Well, the most famous is uh, Nevada writer is probably probably Robert Laxalt was a Basque American writer. Um, and a big hero of mine, and and he, I, I, uh, some of my new book, Don't Skip Out on Me, is a nod to him. Um, he was a, 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 a someone I looked to 
inspiration in the book and to just just to say you know i really respect what you've done and and i'm uh, i wanted the book to be dipped in a little bit of that kind of nevadaness um robert um walter van tilburg clark who wrote oxbow incident it's another nevada uh i didn't know he was from nevada yeah i i think he he taught it in nevada and considered himself a nevada writer I guess nowadays it's Claire V. Watkins. Mm-hmm. She wrote a, a book of short stories called Battle Born, which is really amazing. I think she's probably a super hot shot uh, Nevada writer. I, I think, think she's a story I think she's. I think you're right. I, yeah. I think I've, I've heard of that. She remembered the Nevada Writers Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Felt really good, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and I did. I gave a speech where. Uh, um, where I, I, cause everybody goes, why are you so sad? And why you write such sad stories? <laughs> and Reno's not really like that. And then, uh, and then, so I got to tell all those people why. So I said, I'm telling you why. So you never ask me that again. <laughs> that question's off the table. Well, it's funny, you know, it's like anytime you write about the real side of a city, uh, people don't believe it. Oh, like yeah. it. So I'll write about Reno and they'll go, well, like, why don't you write about the football team? Why don't you write about the basketball team? And you're and, and, and they go, why do you have to write about these things that aren't really true? And I go, well, when's the last time you've been downtown or the Fourth Street? And they go, well, I would never go down there. Well, <laughs> yes, we've been here in Boise for a few days, and everyone says you're from San Francisco. That's yeah. awesome. And I say, let me tell you what I saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't pretty. Um, I'm curious, and this may be a trifling question, but it seems to me like the first time you read Raymond Carver, it must have really hit you, because he's writing about some of the same things you are. Some of those themes and those characters and those settings must have really spoken to you. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it is very dramatic for me how I came to find him and, and read him. So when I was 18, um, I was living in my uh, girlfriend at the time's uh, mom's garage, and I didn't have a job. And she had a job. My girlfriend had a job. And the mom was mad at me because I didn't have a job, obviously. And, you know, I'm laying Such in. Such a good setup already. I yeah. can't stand it. I know. And then there was an Australian songwriter I've always been really, uh, uh, as I've always been a big fan, called Paul Kelly. Paul Kelly uh, was a really literary kind of, he's the Bob Dylan of Australia, and he's a really sharp, great songwriter. And he got obsessed with Raymond Carver for a record, and he wrote a song based on uh, So Much Water So Close to Home, which is a song, his song is called Everything's Turning Into White. And I remember I bought that record about that time, and was listening to it and liked the the folk song of it the everything's turned into white and it said inspired by Raymond Carver's story so I, exactly and I went down and got the Raymond Carver book of where I'm calling from mm-hmm. and I read it and I was just like but I you can write stories about men that are just kind of losers those janitors can be heroes yeah and and it wasn't like Charles Bukowski where you were were in a way is kind of fantasy it's the glamour kind of, of it almost yeah. yeah and just it it was this is like the real thing this is like like you're kind of a loser and your your woman does the heavy lifting in your life and you can't keep it together and I was like but that's everybody I've ever met and so yeah he he made it okay for me uh, to write stories and 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 so after I'd already re- re- been messing around with writing, but after I read that book, I I really kicked it into overdrive. And because I was like, I didn't know you, you know. Before that, I thought you had to be either like Charles Bukowski, right. or you had to be have gone to like a, an Ivy League school, or been to the military, right. or been a spy, or or was like the g- most gifted you know student of all time. I think women writers. I mean. 
feel that way, right? Like, what is the woman's heroic story if there's no battle, if there's no... How do you find that place? And in a way, the stories that you're telling are really suitable for women as well. Yeah. Because the, the, the heroic can be in the quotidian and the everyday. And in the yeah. her, her, like you said about your mom, in the heroism of taking up a job that maybe sucks every day for 30 years mm-hmm. because your family's going to survive. Yeah, I mean, that to me is serious. <sighs> that is badass. Heroic. I'm not sure if I think of it as heroism more just like, you know, my... My catchphrase is always everybody gets their heart broken. It's all we really have in common. Like no matter who you are, you get your heart broken. And that's sort of what you're talking about too, like just examining these lives and, and legitimizing them and saying, you know, here's how it is. Now the thing I would be concerned about when I read Ray Carver, I loved him, like a lot of boys in the eighties. But it wrecked me as a writer for a long time. Because he's I so I good. Had to write like that. Oh. Oh, uh, you know, I always was I was always a fan of like uh I, during that time I read a lot of like Jim Thompson David oh, Goodis, yeah. Charles, yeah, and those guys are pretty straight storytellers. Steinbeck who was a big hero of mine in high school, and he was pretty straight uh, storyteller. And then, in the early, by early twenties, I also read uh, Larry Brown, who's like the Southern Raymond Carver, but not as not as but bleak. Not as spare though. Yeah, that really messed me up. but they're all kind of spare. Yeah. I think, and so so I didn't get caught in like one kind of spareness. I was caught up in like. Jim Thompson spareness or or James N. Kane spareness. Like you're writing is spare. Oh yeah. yeah, but I like it. My my goal was always to uh, when it got off work, I wanted to, I wanted a guy to pick up my book after work, after he worked like painting a house or working in a warehouse or whatever he was doing, and I wanted to keep him. And so you have to keep it simple, and you have to write with blood, and you can't mess around a lot. So, so that was always my go- my goal. So are you writing with that audience in mind? Like, that's I w- the guy I want to read my book. I wanted to get him. Like, with the motel life, I wanted to get that guy. And that's I, a challenge for you. Have that, you? No. <laughs> that guy's probably he's not going to pick up that book. Yeah, you know, uh, you're right. You know, working class men don't read novels as much, obviously, as women. I've um, told that. Yeah. And, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think writing. That's why I write short novels, and I always try to write. Uh, I always, when I was younger, I used to have this thing like write a crime novel without the crime, like meaning like oh, I like, that. like write write really intense and fast, where it goes fast, but but and 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 it packs a punch. Maybe and it's written with blood, tension. and there's tension, but there but you're talking about heavy things. Uh, and that was always like that when I was, you know, up until I was 30, probably 40, I was always trying to do that. Do you know Bud Smith? Bud Smith? Yeah. He's, he's a writer in New Jersey. He was Mr. Blue Collar who wrote his first book. Um, he works now in like some, um, petroleum plant, but he writes on his iPhone at lunch. But oh, he, I heard so him hard. on other people saying basically the same thing that his goal was to have the guy at work pick up his book. I don't know if he found success in that. Yet. I mean, it's really it's hard to get working class guys to read, but you can get you what you can get is the the guys that come out of that uh, and have gone to college and like novels. You'll get those yes. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little more to this than that. But yeah, you know, like my novel Lean on P, I got you could get the working class guys like that one. I think you could get, get it in their hands. Yeah, yeah, That's and the, and the best way to get them in the, their hands is their wife gets it to them. Mm-hmm. Like I've signed a lot of books for. Some woman will come up and go, I, my husband's like this. He never reads, but he'll read this. 
So how did your how did your life change, if at all, when you published Motel Life? I mean, it changed a lot. I uh, I mean, the funny thing is when uh, I first got published uh, uh, by Faber and Faber in England, um, they their their version came out first, and um, and uh, I remember uh, calling my agent at the time, and she still is. She's a really cool person. I'd call her up and I go. Are they going to go broke, you think? Because I'm starting to really get excited that uh, this is really going to happen. And yeah, she, and that happens. Dude, that happens. Well, yeah. And so, well, now it's just like, you know, I, I, so I, that, so then I'd call her again after, you know, three months later. I go, have you heard? Are they going under yet? And she goes, geez, man, they've been around for like a hundred years. Yeah, they're, they're not going to go under right now. So don't worry. And then, um. But then, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I got to quit painting houses, you know, between my band and so and rent. Kind of life changer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you quit, you quit painting houses, and then what? Uh, do you write every day? Like, well, is writing I was what in you a, do? And then, so that was like 2005, I think, the 2004, and my band toured pretty hard up mm. until 2016. I mean, I want to make it clear to our listeners who may not be familiar with your band. <clears throat> That you, your band was pretty successful, oh, not yeah. in the sense of playing arenas, but very well respected and with longevity. Well, I mean, we did okay in Europe. Um, we didn't. We kind of quit touring so much in the states, um, so we did okay. And then you know, the combination of both of those um, uh, of the band and the books, uh, and, and like you know, I don't have kids, and um, um, just horse, but I didn't have horses then, so I didn't. My overhead was pretty low, and um, uh, so it's been lucky. So yeah, I'll write. You know, I like doing it. If I if I can if I can write every day, uh, I will. If I can, life gets in the way. You know, like stuff breaks, and you got to help out your buddy, or you know, I record a lot, uh, that kind of stuff. So I can't write every day, but I would like to. So it's my favorite thing to do. So I don't. And it's, that's at, awesome. At what point were you able? leave the city and i heard you on other people talking to kind of help the country and well you know um so i i started going going out with a woman uh who's my wife now uh uh um and she always has had horses she's a cowgirl kind of thing or she had a ho one horse at the time and we just she wanted to live she wasn't living with her horse and she's like well i gotta live with my horse and so we just oh, drove, so she drove it so yeah so she just said um let's go try to find a place and so we drove you just you know you drive until you can afford to live with your horse and so we're we're about <laughs> an hour outside of portland you can afford we could afford at the time to live with our horse and then we bought a old portland meadows race horse uh, uh second horse and then we have three horses now horses are expensive yeah they nickel and they're the horses are like like having an old car they they just it's, nickel and dime you, yeah. nickel and dime you, and then once in a while you get hit with a huge bill, yeah, uh, and then then it goes back to nickel and dime you. And it, refresh my memory, had you talked on other people about like having a period in your life where you bet on the horses pretty heavily? I mean, yeah, uh, that's how I met my girlfriend really because uh, uh, she she was a horse gal and I was obsessed with betting on horses. So we hit it off just because I was the first guy she ever met that liked horses. Little she know, I just like gambling on them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, maybe uh, when I moved to Portland, I was so homesick for Reno, and I didn't like Portland because it was too big. And I w I'd had culture shock, and I was working graveyard at a trucking company, 
And so I wasn't like I was like immersed in the art scene, you know. Uh, I I worked graveyard at a trucking company. I didn't know anybody, and I just wanted to move home. Uh, and so uh, what I did instead of moving home is I started going to the places that reminded me of Reno, and and uh, and the Portland Meadows horse track was the main one. And so I started going out there three days a week, three nights a week uh, during the the racing season, and I'd. Uh, just sit there and write novels and bet horses. And uh, have you read Bill Barrich? No. Oh, you gotta read him. Yeah. He's got the great novel about horse betting, but also about raising horses. Yeah, I mean, betting betting the horses and riding is great because every time you get frustrated with yourself or you're tired, you just stop and you bet a, a race. And doing a, a race is betting a race is like drinking five cups of coffee. Like it just jacks you up because you get so excited and and you're you know you're risking money and you yeah, get all amped up and then why it's a road to ruin for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't for me because I'd I'd already messed up in Reno. I'd lost paychecks gambling in Reno, and um, there's nothing like making like 220 bucks a week and then blowing it all in one night. And uh, uh, and so when it came to Portland, I was really strict on myself. And betting horses is easier because. I had a limit on, you know, gambling's all about discipline. So I had a limit on how much I could bet each race. I had a limit on how much I could bet each day. And then, um, and really I liked writing out there because no one went to the track. There's huge tables. Um, there's a coffee shop. I mean, you can just hang out there all day. And it's the kind of people I like being around, which is like degenerate gamblers, alcoholics, and, and weirdos. <laughs> and, you know, there was a couple of jockeys, you know, and one in particular I had a huge crush on. And, uh, and then there's, you're around horses. So you're, you know, it's just, it had everything. And it was only after f f 10 years of that, yeah, about 10 years, maybe almost 15 really, of gambling horses and spending all my free time gambling horses that I, I started getting too big of crushes on horses. And, and I started going, where'd that horse go? What happened to that oh. horse? And I got a crush on a jockey and I started worrying about her health and i go i started investigating how much money she made and what kind of health care she had and 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 then i and but really it was the disappearing of a few horses i love and watching horses break down that i wrote lean on pete and broke up with horse racing and i, I haven't really gone since hmm. when you were telling that story it struck me you got to portland and you hated it what was the process that made you choose portland first you said it was oh. there were weirdos there well so it was a good music city it was cheap I could get Seattle. cheaper in Seattle, cheaper in San Francisco, cheaper in L.A., and I was scared to move anywhere, and I'd never been anywhere else. Uh, so I, I didn't think of going to, like, New York or any of the, uh, like, Chapel Hill where there was a good music scene. I was too and scared. Horses, probably. Yeah. yeah. But I was too scared, so I moved to Portland because it was the least scary, and it was cheap, and I had a my, – my, where I worked had a branch in Portland. Oh, okay. So – but yeah, I, it was scary, you know. I didn't do very good there for a while, and then I got Richard Fontaine going. And, and How did you do that? How did you break into music? I started going to shows all the time and answering ads and papers and, you know, and just, like, sucking it up and trying. And then, then I met one guy for Fontaine, then you meet another guy. And, and then I had songs, you know, and I was so I, 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 was, I was ready to go. So I had, I had a place. I rented a house that had a basement, and I, you know, and I... I uh, I mean, back then you could a guy working at a trucking company could rent a, a, a two-bedroom craftsman, and uh, with a full basement. So, so I was good to go with the songs and everything. By the time those guys, I met those guys, and I just 
I lucked upon the right guys. So now you've written five novels, and as you, you were sitting here, it occurred to me, do you, do you understand what a huge undertaking that is to have published five novels? I mean, I know, I mean, I feel so grateful that I've gotten, I mean, to have your books in a library next to the other books is, yeah. is, is a great thing. So I always feel so grateful to have given, been given a chance that I, I try really hard not to mess it up. So I just bust my ass because I know, I know there's always some smarter, better writer, and and I, there's stories I want to tell, you know. So I, I'm grateful for it, and I just try not to think about it too much. But has it exceeded your wildest dreams? I don't ever, you know. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, I never. Dream of to be a bum sitting in the bar at age fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, of course. And then being in Richmond Fontaine was, oh, it was such it was, you know, it was the best family. Besides, you know, like my wife uh, is a total is 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 probably the great greatest thing family wise I've ever had. But, but before that was uh, Fontaine. It was just mm -hmm. such a blast being with those like the same, like it drives other people crazy. Like being in a van with the same guys and the same, uh, oh, yeah. like our band would have the same arguments. Two guys would have the same arguments about the Grateful Dead for weeks about like and well, there's I, no two sides to that argument I don't understand. I know like which 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 era and I loved it it was just like it was oh, which era okay it wasn't they sucked no no it was all they no we were a pro Grateful Dead band oh, okay. but they would bicker about it and or just like to heavily discuss it and I love I loved everything I loved the I loved it all it was so and they're all you nice to me it's a great me, so. novel about a touring band is it, has that been written been I know but I, is it really the great novel I don't know I've never had interest in writing about it, but I love being in one. Are you someone who just likes hearing people talk? No, I like I like being a cog in a machine, a little machine, like a little lawnmower, a failing lawnmower. And there it goes. Those guys were never mean to me. They were always really like no one I was ever mean to me. And What's I, the status of the band now? Well, uh, we just retired. I, oh, you know, you did. See, I thought you were back together. No, no, I made the guys do the, or not made them, but I asked them to do the uh, instrumental record. Okay. Um, for for fun, um, we still had money in the bank, and 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 it, and so it was it was just a, a labor of love. Uh, you know, I always think of Fontaine as as an old van, and I was always surprised that each guy got in the van, for, especially after as you get older and everybody needs more money and and has more constrictions on their time. That each guy would sacrifice his life to get in a van and play music together. I was always, I'd always be like, oh my god, he's really getting, he, he's, he's getting out of the car with his bag and his <laughs> instrument. He's really going to get in this van, and so it's like an old and driving down the. I just felt like we were an old van, and you could see the engine shaking mm. and the wheels are getting wobbly. So why not us pull over as buddies and we say when. And so I didn't want one of the guys to have to finally say, like, look, man, I can't do this anymore. Well, I've so. always been curious about this. So when you're in a band and that's the way you make your living, there's no retirement. And what do you do afterwards? If you're in a band for 20 years and you say, all right, we're done with the band, then everyone else has to go, wait a minute, what do I do now? Well, Fontaine never made everybody's... So everyone had something else. Yeah, everybody. Okay. So we were like a supplemental income okay. band. No... Um, yeah, it'd be a different thing if, 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 if each guy made his living on it. I don't know. I'd feel much more responsibility Especially towards for it. A band. I'm like obsessed yeah. with this idea like um, that Zia McCabe is a real estate agent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that they, yeah. Do, they find these things to do after. Well, yeah, I mean, Fontaine was a communist organization. We, every guy got that. No matter what, we always got the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, So there was no... 
so we, that was one of the reasons I think we stuck it out is like publishing everything wow. yeah because I felt I mean that's how the band I felt like look these guys are risking me risking their time on me so I'm you know I'm not going to mess with that uh, and the other thing is being in a van with guys I don't want a guy looking at the back of my head I want him to say like I will drank too much last night and he was slurring and and he's, you know, why is he always talk about the same books and blah, blah, blah. I want that guy to think that. I don't want him to go, why is he get, uh, why is he got a nicer car than me? Yeah, that's what happens a lot. Oh, yeah, I don't want to look, I don't want to, you know, and I don't want it to go there. I, I had no desire for, you know, if you want to make money, go somewhere else. But, like, to be in a band, that, that it's, if everybody makes the same money, then it's, it's a lot more fun. Good philosophy. So we're almost out of time, but I want to, talk a little bit about your writing process and I also want to you're, I'm assuming you're still writing songs even though you're no longer with Confronting yeah I'm in another band called the Delines okay. and the Delines is like a country soul band and it's got two of the guys in Fontaine oh. in it and it's a, a woman named Amy Boone's the singer and um, and we, we started touring and, and did one record and she got hit by a car oh, and broke both her legs and, and we're just waiting for her to heal so I, you know and I've heard do you still have the office yeah, well, when I quit going to uh, 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 the track, um, when I broke up with horse racing, I, I rented a, an, uh, an, uh, like a Sam Spade detective agency office. Where's that? that St. John's in Edge of Portland. It's like, oh, North, yeah, it's like North one of the last Portland. like old school working class parts of Portland. Mm-hmm. For now. For now, yeah. It's got four old man bars in the block. So it's, That's very telling a story yeah. about looking down at that old man bar. Yeah, the, yeah, and they've got their liquor license uh, back for outside so I can watch <laughs> so I can watch the guys smoke and drink at 8 in the morning. I love it. Yeah. Considering what you write about, that's probably a perfect inspiration. Well, yeah, and you're you're so proud of yourself. Like you could be the biggest loser, but if you're not drinking at 8 a.m. and smoking, you're like, "God, I'm a good guy." See, you know. <laughs> but are you inspired by these guys that write a story about them? They just—I've never been as inspired by that as comforted. Mm-hmm. It's like going to the track and seeing all those guys. It wasn't like I was, um, or going to a weird old man bar. It's not like I'm investigating it. It just makes me feel normal. Mm-hmm. So being around that kind of stuff doesn't do anything, but just makes it makes me go, "Oh, guys, finally, I'm safe." Well, but how do you feel hobnobbing with literary types? As long as they like books. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, the funnest book people to hang out with are crime writers because crime writers love novels. They read a ton of novels, but they love music. And they're not snobby and they're not affiliated with colleges. Mm. And so they're like real fans. And they're also insecure about their literary talents. So they're not, they're not conceited and they're not ambitious in a way like a college professor, like, w- did you get that? Did you get that? Like, you hang out with, like, crime writers, and they're all like, so, uh, what do you listen to right now? And then they're like, have you read this and this and this? And they've read m- more literary books than most literary guys. Yeah. Have. Yeah. So, I, as, long as, it's, as long as you hook up with people that are talking about books, when they don't talk about books um, or being a fan, then I'm always like, well, I got, I'll be right back. I got to go to that. Gotta go uh, get another beer. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be right back, and then I run out the door. Portland, I, Portland's such a literary town. I mean, it's more and more of a book town all the time. Yeah, I mean, like, like you got like that whole crew of like Chuck Palahniuk, who's yeah. another guy fan guy. Like you talk to him. I don't know him real well, but but he's been really nice to me and really generous. And then when you talk to him, he just talks about 
books. I mean, he's really generous to struggling writers. Uh, Lydia Yuknovich is really, oh, she's always her. like, what are you reading right now, Will? Or like, what do you listen to? You know, like, so it's more fun. I get creeped out if it's, if they're, if they're talking about business or, or if they're talking about awards or whatever, stuff that just like, you can just feel kind of creepy. And, and you meet that, like being in a band, you want to, you want to hang out with a weird guy that does like, that's proud enough to say, I love Rush and I can't stop listening to Rush right now. Instead of the guy saying, like, well, why aren't we as famous as that band? There's nothing you're supposed to be embarrassed about. No, but some people get it hard. Yeah, I love Rush, man. I don't like Rush. People either hate him or love him. Yeah. And you're a lover, I take it. I love Rush. Why couldn't you? And when you're a smart man, that's why you're a good-looking <laughs> Sorry, man. Guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I listen to a lot of very embarrassing music, mm. just My not Rush. Is the only woman I know who likes Rush. Oh, is it like is that? a lot of women like Rush? No. no. I don't like Rush because... All the boys I grew up with listen to Rush. And there is a certain, you were talking about, um, you look at those old men in the bars and there's something comforting. I have the exact opposite feeling. Of course. Because I grew up in those bars and they scare me. Like, it scares me how close my life could have been that. And, and women, and women yeah. in, in old man bars, I mean, it's not fun. Because, like, yeah. the, the good thing about. Oh, well, I used to love them. But yeah. it's, it's. It, it could be anything. I, I was in Sacramento one day. I went down to the uh, what's is it? The call what's the river? American River that goes yes. through Sacramento River. Sacramento River that goes through Sacramento. And a bunch of people were out, you know, with their kids, with beers, getting on uh, inner tubes, and it looked so wholesome. And I just had that moment of like, it's just too close to really? how I grew up. <laughs> oh, just that part. Too. It just it just scares me. Like See, like it could have been it could have been like that. I could have been interesting triangle then because yeah. I still kind of see the old man bar yeah I went through that yeah I mean I love them I mean they are lone there's nothing lonelier than drinking in bars like that when you got nothing going on if you can go in there with a friend uh and then they're heaven but if you're if you're going in and plus I'm getting too old like you know a hangover just is like an ice pick for like three you days now to, you don't have to drink too much once yeah. you're in there well. you can hang out <laughs> I haven't figured that one out, man. I never figured that. That's the problem. But we are actually out of time. Assuming we have anything on here, we might have a really long podcast. All right, that would be fantastic. Website, Twitter, do that. Yeah, dot com, Richmond. Yeah, W. Yeah, Willie, and then V is in Victor. L A U T I N dot com, and then richmondfontaine.com. And that's about it. Do you do any of the social media? I mean, I got Facebook for for my books, but you know, I don't I don't do that much of it just because I don't really like myself that much to to, to <laughs> keep talking about yourself. Yeah, or to like show <laughs> pictures. I just right. don't. You know, I barely. You know, I I just try to get out of bed each day, and uh, you know, if I if I talk too much about myself, uh, uh, um, then yeah, I just it doesn't work for me. That is new, wise. The new book is "Don't Skip Out on Me." Uh, came out in February. How? How's it doing so far? I mean, it seemed, people seem to like it. I, I mean, it's the only book I've ever, I've ever done that would uh, friends of mine call me up in the middle of the night yelling at me for, for it. Because they're still awake just... reading? Yeah. Okay. Oh, for what happens, how the book is. Oh, okay. I thought because they couldn't put it down and they were mad they're still awake. No, they're mad because oh. I, what, oh, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah the you way it ends. Your characters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just get mad. So it's, yeah, you get people that just start crying. Awesome. About it, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's but great. so I don't, I don't know how it's doing the other night. I don't, I try not to look. My brother 
he'll tell me if it's getting good reviews, and then he'll send me the ones that are uh, good. But I don't. I block it out because I can't. Uh, I just don't like thinking about it. I mean, I love my book, whether it's good or not. I, I don't know, but I, I love it. So uh, I checked. It's getting good reviews. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it's getting good reviews. PQ, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at bquintrust, where I talk about myself and other people, uh, and on Instagram, same or bridgetquintauthor.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Larry Rose. We usually talking about my dog. I got to be honest. What kind of dog do you have? See, I don't do it, so I don't know. A corgi. Well, I love corgis. Yeah, he's pretty. Cool. I, mean, I mean, you can't help but like <laughs> dogs. Oh yeah. I mean that's a problem is like with the books you can't always have a dog in it or horses cuz then everybody you can't do the same thing over and over that's, but but you're always like god I want a dog. Like why can't my buddy have a yeah, dog? I've got these horses I imagine can't, there's a dog running out between them, you know. Yeah, I mean I've got them. dogs. I've I've had to cut dogs out of a couple books just cuz so I so I could have it in the next book, you know. <laughs> this dog just hanging around in the Yeah, back. and you know my I have a really great dog uh and I wanted. I wrote a failed novel where she's a hero, one of the heroes in it, like her and this old cowboy guy. There's a and whole subgenre of that. There is. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Authors, dogs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, dogs are you know, dogs awesome. and horses, man. Can't beat them. As for us here at the Grotto Pod, yes, you can find us at the Grotto Pod on Twitter or email us at grottopod at gmail.com. Our producers who are not here, who are in California, are. Lee Kravitz, Beth Weingarner, and Lori Ann Doyle. Thanks, you guys. But uh, you always say it, so I got to say it. Oh, okay. You do know that, though? That's good. That's good to know that. So, third of four podcasts in the books here in Idaho. (laughs) One more to go with your friend, Johnny Edison. Oh, you haven't done Johnny Edison? I did one with him and Stuart in a bar, but now I'm going to sit down in front of people. He's 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 another guy, just serious work ethic. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, and he's got really good taste in music. Well, that's a preview for tonight, Grotto Pond listeners. But until then, we'll leave you with this thought. Read, write, and just keep working. Mm-hmm.